Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. So good to see everybody. I'm glad you're here this evening. Caroline, thanks for reading Genesis chapter 5. It's an obscure passage of Scripture. Uh, some of you have made New Year's resolutions at times to read through God's Word, and this is the first genealogy in the Bible. And when you get into these places of genealogy, sometimes there are places where you're like, okay, I'm going to sort of skim through this, or maybe you even feel it's kind of temptation to sort of skip through this, what's here to see. And tonight, I hope, and our prayer is, is that God would use this uh, very obscure and unique uh, character that we have just a little bit of a glimpse of to be able to penetrate your heart and to teach you some uh, lasting biblical truths that can help you at this season of your life, but also at all seasons of your life. Uh, One of the joys I have is to serve as one of the pastors here at Dawson. I have the great privilege to serve alongside of Kara Fincher and Jacob Pierce and uh, Cole. Uh, Cole did such a great job preaching last week from Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, one of the privileges I have as one of the pastors here at Dawson is to be able to stand before uh, the people of God who are gathered each and every Sunday. And some of those people are you as college students or you as young professionals. And what a real joy I have as a pastor is to see the way God is moving in your lives and in the way that many of you have connected to the body of Christ at Dawson. I've, I've been here at Dawson for about six years, five and a half years, six years this summer. And one of the things that's really beautiful about this church is that this is a church that is truly intergenerational in every way. And so college ministry and young adult ministry is not a silo. It's not a uh, just sort of off to the side kind of ministry. It, it is integrated into the very heartbeat of who we are as a church. And many of you already know that because you're serving in a variety of ways in the life of, of this church. I'm looking out here and I see some of our beta interns here. I see some of you that were working and serving uh, this uh, D-Now weekend a couple of weekends ago, and you were planted with sixth graders and seventh grade boys and eighth grade girls, and, and thank you for doing that. And, and many of you have gotten connected to life groups here, and you're serving in a variety of ways. And I just want to say to you, uh, give yourself, give yourself to that. Don't, don't wait. There's an illusion in some respects that, hey, I'm in college or maybe you're a young adult and it's like, hey, I just need to sort of play the field of churches. And in some respects, there's some truth to that. Uh, we're in the second semester, sort of you know, post-step scene kind of thing here. So I, what, one of the things to kind of say is uh, some of you do, maybe you're freshmen here, maybe you're new to the Birmingham metro area, just got a job, brought you here. There is a sense in which that, that can be wise for some weeks and some months to visit a variety of different churches. But you gotta come to this kind of place where you just land and plant. And what I have found is if, if, you, if you don't, what could end up happening, and again, this doesn't always happen, but there can be this sense where, where we're followers of Jesus without a kind of true church home. And so what can happen is, is oh, I'm just going to kind of visit for this season here. And then this season that was, in your mind, going to be a few months, uh, you end up you, sort of like the last semester of your senior year, and you're still sort of wandering. 
Or you find yourself new to Birmingham and you say, oh, I'm still new to, but then you look up and you've been living in Birmingham for three years. And you sort of just taste of this church, taste of this church, taste of this church. So, hey, there were wonderful churches in Birmingham. Okay, wonderful churches in Birmingham. Praise God that God has providentially brought you to a place where you can connect in a variety of churches. And I think Dawson is one of those places you can connect, but certainly it's not the only one. We're part of the larger body of Christ here. So uh, for those of you that are visiting for the first time, I'm glad you're here. For those of you that are sort of in that place where you're uh, wondering, where am I gonna land? I, I would just encourage you, if you're, if you're a year into this journey right here, plant somewhere, plant somewhere, and just dive in, dive into the, uh, what God has for you in the church. And many of you are already doing that, but I just feel that uh, one or two of you might need to hear that tonight. So back to our passage of scripture right here. Genesis chapter five, it's not gonna be in the greatest hits of any sort of vacation Bible school or Sunday school curriculum. Oftentimes it, it goes back and forth whether or not you would even know about this character. What we're talking about here is this person uh, you hear Enoch, you hear Enoch, uh, that can sort of like dual pronunciations here. And so I'll go with Enoch. Um, that's kind of how I first heard it pronounced here. But in Genesis chapter five, verses 18 through 24, Caroline's already read it for us, but I just want to remind you of the passage. Jared lived 162 years. He fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Now, Enoch had lived 65 years and we, he is the dad of Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. If you, have, if you, if you are writing notes here, if you're writing in your Bible, which I really encourage you to do this, would you underline verse 22, especially that verb there, walked with God? Because we're gonna come back to that. So he fathered Methuselah 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And again, you see why I'm asking you to underline this here. Uh, verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Uh, one of the things that we discover in the Old Testament is important themes are repeated. So uh, we, we have a clue here that this walking theme is going to be an important theme here. So uh, tucked away in the first genealogy is this mysterious character. He is the great, so you want to count this, he is the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. So the obituary for Enoch here is just walked with God and he was not for God took him. A little bit of uh, biblical Old Testament jeopardy here. We have one other person who is in this exclusive club in the Old Testament, that he doesn't have a natural death. And that person is Elijah. Yeah, so we have Elijah who was taken up in a whirlwind and did not have a natural death. And this is kind of, it's, it's really unique, isn't it, when you think about it, because even the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, who walked on this earth for 33 years, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and he died. And so what we're talking about here is wholly exceptional, that we have this person, Enoch, who walked with God and he was not, for God took him. One of the principles of reading your Bible is to read it with an insatiable curiosity. So when you're reading this, you should, in the margin, write just question marks. I mean, you should, in the margin, say, what's going on here? You should, in the margin, say, I don't quite understand what this is right here. So here's some of the questions. Took him, what, I mean, what, what, what does that even mean, took him? Another question is, is how did God take him? What was so special about his walk? Look back with me at the passage here. 
Can any of those questions be answered? How did God take him? What does it even mean that it took him? What was special about his walk? Well, the answer to those questions are, we don't know from Genesis 5. So when you have an obscure passage of scripture that the, the light is just not completely open, we've got the drapes, for whatever reason, they're kind of closed in and we don't have a whole lot of light that's shining in that gives us clarity. One principle of, of interpreting the Bible, because the Bible is not just random books thrown together, it is one book with one author, God, through the Spirit, and you know, inspiring different biblical authors, but the overarching authority of the Bible is God himself. So one of the principles, when you come to a passage just like this, this is very exemplary for us. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on with this passage, so we want to open up the drapes some more. We want to open up the windows some more to say, well, is there other places in Scripture that might shine some more light on this passage? Uh, John Calvin, the great Genevan reformer, he calls this the analogy of faith. For those of you that are, are trying to see how and church history has helped us with this, the analogy of faith is saying there are other passages that are more clear that might shine some light on some of the more obscure passages. Now, where is it? Where is it that we meet Enoch? Where, does it, where do we meet Enoch? Where do we meet him again? The Hall of Faith. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, we're going through the gallery and we've got, some, we've got some Old Testament saints that we would be expecting to see hanging on the wall of the wall of faith. So we, we think that as we're walking through this and you're looking around at all the pictures in Hebrews chapter 11, of, of course it's not surprising that Abraham makes a cameo in Hebrews 11. Of course it's not surprising that Noah, Abel, Moses, all of the, sort of the famous top tier biblical characters of the Old Testament. They're showing up there in, Genesis, in Hebrews chapter 11. And then surprise, surprise, we have this mysterious character show up in Hebrews 11 chapter uh, verses five through six. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. More light, more lights being shown in this passage. So we had, some, we had some questions in Genesis chapter five. What exactly did it mean it took him? Well, now we know he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. More light. So the drapes are being opened even more with Hebrews chapter 11 here. So now we know his walk with God was such that he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse six, how does this apply for you? How does this apply for me? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Enoch is this exemplary character in the Old Testament who walked with God in such a way that it pleased God. Without faith, verse six, you, me, all of us, we cannot please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what are we seeing here? We've got some light shining on what seems to be this little dark corner in Genesis chapter five. And we got a, a little bit more light of how Enoch's life becomes an exemplary life for you and for me. Well, in what ways? In what ways? Well, in this passage here, it's interesting that the heartbeat of this Old Testament character was that he wanted to be a God pleaser. 
One of the struggles that you will have for all of your life, we have this illusion that, that we grow out of this. I mean, you sort of have this illusion that when you're in high school, you're very concerned with, with being a people pleaser. But, but, but of course, once you're out of high school, then you're not gonna worry so much about what your peers think or what other people think, right? Well, wrong. I mean, it, it morphs and it transforms in some respects, but there's still this innate desire to be liked, to be respected, to be heard, to be a, a people pleaser. And, and not all of that's bad. I mean, you get out of college, you get out of graduate school, and then you get into the workplace. And of course, you, you want to be respected. Of course, you want to, to be pleasing to people. But the problem with being a people pleaser is that sometimes we can morph ourselves in such a, a way that, that we will become whomever we need to be in whatever crowd, in whatever moment, so that that person would like us and that person would value us and that person would say... Well done. Who <laughs> that is right there. So they like that too. What's your heartbeat? So what's your heartbeat? Is your heartbeat and desire to please God more than man? Is your heartbeat and desire to please God more than someone else? Now, all of us, none of us are immune to this. And in some respects, it's not bad. I mean, we, we have a need for a father or a mother to, to look at us and say what? I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of what you've done. Uh, we, we have a, a desire, and, it, and it's not a bad desire. Some of you can, can go back to that moment where you had a teacher or a coach look you into the eyes and say something like, I, I really am really proud of what you've done here. And some of you can remember getting a, a paperback uh, an essay that you wrote or, you know, 10-page paper. And, and the comments, you can still to this moment remember what was written in the margins because there was something about someone seeing what you've done, valuing what you've done and saying, well done. So all of that is not bad. Now, the problem with it is, is, the, is when we uh, construct a false identity, and we contort ourselves to do whatever it takes to please our peers. And we ask ultimately, who do you want me to be? So that I can ultimately receive your applause. The best life that you can live today and the best life that you can live in all of your tomorrows is a life that pleases God first and foremost. And at times to, to please God will, will, will move you in such a direction that it contrasts with the applause of men and women around you. Verse six tells us, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. So now as we're tracking with Hebrews chapter 11, we're, we're, we're seeing that Enoch lived a life that pleased God. And how do we please God? Well, first by believing in him by faith. Do you see this? Verse six, think about Enoch for a second. This is before Noah is asked to build an ark. This is before Abram is asked to leave his land and go to the land that God is calling him to. I mean, this is before the, sort of the greatest hits of the Old Testament in some respects of the great men 
and ultimately women of faith that we're going to come into contact with here. And so what we discover in this passage here is that Enoch is a person who is a pioneer of faith. He's a person who pleases God because he believes in God. Now there is some, there is some opposition to belief in God in the 21st century. Uh, some of you are kind of taking history of philosophy, history of ideas. I mean, and so you're sort of familiar with uh, Karl Marx saying that religion and Christianity is the opiate of the masses. Sigmund Freud said that uh, our belief in God is just a projection of our wants. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, who's a late British journalist who passed away a few years ago, he, he said that uh, Christianity and belief in God is just a babyish attempt to meet our inescapable demand for knowledge. I, I'm not really sure, though, that the real issue on you know, 739 on a Tuesday night at Oxano is that there's many of you that don't believe in God. Uh, some of you might not. Some of you might be curious about this and might have questions about this, and I'm so thankful that you're here this evening. But I, I wonder if the problem sometimes is, is not do we believe in the concept of God, it's that what we fill in the concept of God with is, is a, really just a projection of who we want God to be. A.W. Tozier was, was a wonderful pastor that some of you might have heard of. He was a pastor in Chicago for many decades, and he, he's been in heaven now for decades. And he has a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in that book, he says that what comes into your mind and what comes into my mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me say that again. What comes into your mind and what comes into my mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So Enoch is a person who pleases God by believing in him. And so the question is, do we believe in him? And what is the basis of our belief? Because I think sometimes the belief that we have in God is a belief in God that we have constructed. We, we have created a God that looks a lot like what we want him to look like. There's a wonderful book that's decades old now by an um, Anglican pastor called, his name is J.B. Phillips, and the book is called Your God is Too Small. And it's a great premise, and in the title of the book, you can kind of get the idea of where he's going. And the idea is, and he gives these, these different projections of God that aren't a full revelation of him from Genesis to Revelation. So he's got one God that is the benevolent grandfather. I, I don't know how many of you had a grandfather that was just sort of a doting grandfather who, it, when, when you went to your grandfather or your grandmother's house, you ate ice cream all the time. <laughs> They spoiled you completely. And no matter what you did, they just thought it was hilarious and you were awesome. As long as they didn't have to keep you for like a week or two, you know, and they could give you back to your mom and dad. Um, and some of us think of God in that kind of sense, that God is this benevolent, doting grandfather who sees no wrong. So J.B. Phillips says that's one God that's way too truncated and small when compared to the beautiful revelation of him in scripture. It's all grace without justice. It's all mercy without wrath. He also says on the flip side that there can be a God who is a ever-present um, sort of um, assistant principal who roams the halls looking for students who are out of line, out of class, kind of roam in the halls. 
So he's always looking to give out demerits, always looking out to give detention. So he sees nothing but wrong. So, so the God is a God of wrath without grace. I, he doesn't say this, but I actually think the third vision that I just wanna throw into this is that a lot of times our vision of God isn't necessarily the, the doting grandfather. It's not necessarily the ever-present assistant principal that's looking to give out demerits and detention left and right. It's actually a God that's more like a divine vending machine. So many of you are kind of familiar with what's called the prosperity gospel. And the, sort of the tenets of this is that, is that you, you pray, you put your 50 cents of petition, you put your 50 cents of, of faith into God. And then, and then you say A2, A2 healing, uh, A4. And, and if you believe enough and if you pray faithfully enough that God, God is, he, he has to, he is committed to give you exactly what you want in that moment. So do you see how all of these visions of God are just way too small compared to the God that is revealed to us in scripture? I don't know how many of you, uh, I know some of you, you know, are in college and I know some of you are just uh, professionals that are working, but hopefully you're going to some good restaurants in Birmingham if you're new to the area. And one of my favorites that probably you're not gonna go to, maybe some of you would not know about is Nikki's West. How many of you would know about Nikki's West? Okay, the guys do. That's funny. It's like all guys are raising their hands. So, um, so Nikki's West is a, sort of a meet and three. It's a buffet, and it's really famous and it's really good too. And the thing about Nikki's West is, is you get in this line, and the line is always long, but they just fly you through the line, and you have no time. You have to know what you want, and so you have these endless options of vegetables. You have these endless options of desserts. You have these endless options, what feels to be endless options of, of meats that you can choose, the entrees of that day. And so you go through the line and say, yes, I want that. Yes, I want that. You know, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. And I think a lot of us, this is our approach to belief in God. We say, oh, yes, I believe in God. I would take a heaping of grace. Yes, yes, I believe in God. I'll take two servings of his mercy. You know, I'm sort of, kind of have this little food allergy to his justice. So I'm gonna kind of hold away from his justice. Or, or, or I, you know, I'm not really sure about a God who, who uh, has a standard of holiness that doesn't uh, jive with exactly what I feel in my heart that is the best self-expression of who I am and what I feel in this moment. So what we're doing is, it's like, yes, I believe in God, but when you get to the heartbeat, it's like we're going through this buffet line saying, yes, I believe in that, no, not that, yes, that, no, that. And you say, well, surely no one's doing that. A few years ago, there was a sociologist who taught at Baylor University. Maybe some of you look to go to Baylor and his name is Christian Smith. And Christian Smith, he wrote this book called Soul Searching. And in the book, he surveyed folk, a lot of people just like you. And I, again, I don't, I don't wanna make any assumptions, but I have a feeling some of you grew up in churches, grew up in churches that preach the Bible. And he did the survey of thousands of students that were 18 to about 25 years old. And he came back with the results of that survey when we're just asked, describe God. And out of that survey, the God that was depicted is, is in this phrase called moral therapeutic deism. And those are all 
sort of defined words that need some kind of explanation here. But the God that they believed in was a God that ultimately was concerned with your good behavior or bad behavior. So moral, therapeutic, that he was ultimately concerned with sort of your development and being there with you. And deism is this idea that God is in heaven, but he has nothing to do here on earth. He created the earth and he wound it up like a clock and he just removes himself from it. So moral therapeutic deism. And the way it gets kind of go, you know, uh, uh, brought down to, to us here is that uh, the God that people believed in uh, is a crossless, wrathless God who doesn't judge sin and whose primary goal is the happiness of his creatures. And I'm, I'm fearful that, and it's not just young students, I'm, I'm fearful that a lot of people are like, yes, yeah, sign me up, I, I believe in God. But really the God that they believe in really is a crossless, wrathless God who doesn't judge sin and whose primary goal is the happiness of his creatures. And so Enoch pleased God by believing in God. And so my question to you is, is when you think of God, who is the God that you are thinking of? Is it a God that is a projection of you and your thoughts or is it a God that is anchored and tethered to the text of the Bible here? So you please God by believing in him by faith. Secondly, you please God by walking with him intimately. So I've asked you to underline in Genesis chapter five, it's not enough just to believe in the existence of God. It's not enough just to believe that he's revealed in scripture. The first step of faith is to then lead to another step of faith. Verse six, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Again, in Genesis, we had this refrain. He walked with God. He walked with God. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you have one of the primary images of an intimate relationship with God is, is walking with him. You see it on the screen here in Micah chapter six, verse eight. And what does the Lord require of you? but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so my question to you is, uh, ha have you sought him for salvation? Have you reached for this God? No one, no one can have a relationship without, with the Father except through Jesus Christ. So we need him as our savior, Jesus, the eternal son of God who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died a saving death upon the cross and was raised on the third day. That's how we come into a relationship is through Jesus. And so the first question is, is have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior? Have you sought him for salvation? And then the second question is, are you continuing to seek him? You see, when we're walking with him, there's a sense in which we abide with him deeply. Now, how do we do that? Well, let me just uh, say in two ways here. The ways that we walk with God is that first, you must travel in the same direction. And secondly, you must travel at the same pace. My wife and I have been married for 23 years. We, we met at college. Uh, my wife and I attended a, a school in Mississippi that has some similarities to Sanford and a lot of dissimilarities. It's called Mississippi College. There's, a, there's somebody wearing a Mississippi College sweatshirt there. And um, so Mississippi College is a place where she was attending and I was attending. And we started dating when she was a sophomore and I was a freshman. We actually got married my junior year and her senior year. So we got married really, really young. And uh, no regrets whatsoever. It's, it's been an amazing journey for the last 23 years. And 
I have been shaped from a human perspective. There's no one that has shaped me in my walk with Jesus more than my, my wife, Danielle. We have three children who are uh, 16 and 15, and, or 17, 15, and 11. So we have a junior in high school, and we have a freshman in high school, and we have a fifth grader, three boys. And uh, one of the great joys when I look back I have some just real deep memories of all, especially when we were in college, uh, at Mississippi College, we had this big kind of like quad and we had this park that was about a, a half a mile away. And so for years when we were dating, we would just meet at the quad and we would just walk and we would just walk around campus and we would just walk to that park and months of, of dating, and we, we did this. And this is how we got to know one another. And this is sort of the intimacy that we have. And this, I think it's just a beautiful imagery that we can sort of make our relationship with God real difficult. But I mean, how do you know God? And how, how do you walk with God? Well, you travel in the same direction. Uh, intimacy is absolutely impossible when you're going in one direction and the Lord is going in another direction. So Enoch pleases God because he's walking in the same direction. I love this passage in Proverbs chapter three, verses five through six. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and what? He will make your path straight. He'll make your paths straight. Are you trusting in the Lord tonight? Are you leaning on the Lord tonight? Are you acknowledging him tonight? Would you say that the Lord is a close companion in your life? Or would you say that the Lord is sort of a, a uh, called upon consultant when, you, when you're in a sort of a bind? And every once in a while, when you just need someone to sort of look into your life, it, it, would you describe your relationship with Jesus as someone who walks with you and talks with you? Do you find an intimacy with him, or you at a place in your life where the heartbeat of your life isn't thy will be done, but, but my will be done. And these are just good diagnostic questions. They're just good questions to ask ourselves. Uh, where, where are we in, in an intimacy with God? Is, is God going in one direction and we going in the other direction? Uh, when I drive, I have this Google app on my phone. And oftentimes I'll plug in a destination and when I'm traveling, what will end up happening is, is I'll get to a place and I can't quite tell what direction I'm supposed to go. And maybe I'll kind of go left or I won't look at the phone in that moment and I'll go in a direction and I'll realize that I'm going in the wrong direction. And at least the way Google Maps works is, is that when you turn left, when you're supposed to turn right, it immediately, you know what happens, you know, when you, when you see your phone, it immediately begins to do what? To recalculate to recalculate and it'll show you, oh, you went left. You're supposed to go right, but you went left. But now if you would just turn right here, you can get back on the path. And if you are a follower of Jesus here, it very well may be that God is going into a direction. And, and for the last six months or six weeks or six days, to be honest, the, the spirit of your heart has been not, hey, I'm gonna trust in the Lord, not I'm gonna lean on the Lord, but it's I'm sort of trusting in myself and I'm sort of leaning on myself. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you might hear him calling you today to turn around, to turn around. 
And it's almost as if it's that sort of GPS, which is the Holy Spirit, that no matter how far you've gone in the wrong direction, that the Holy Spirit is recalculating and, and you're never too far to where you can't turn around and get back on the path that he has called you to if you're a follower of him. So my question to you, are, are, you, are you traveling in the same direction? And the second question is, uh, for you to walk with the Lord and to walk with him with intimacy, you must travel at the same pace. Travel at the same pace. Uh, one of the, the just, I've always been a person that's sort of been in a hurry. And I remember vividly when Danielle and I first started dating, that oftentimes uh, I would, we would get out of the vehicle often and we'd go into like a restaurant and I would just get there as quickly as I could. And so oftentimes she would say something like, you know, David, are you going to slow down? Or, you know, I would, and I would look back and she would be like 10 yards behind me or 20 yards behind me. And so I had to, uh, anybody else do that here? Anybody else do that? You, y'all do that? Y'all know how that is? Okay. And so uh, eventually I realized uh, for me to, to, to have sort of, I had to, I had to slow down. And there is something about traveling at the same pace. I think, I think we can get ahead of God a lot of times. And especially, especially at the time that you're in right now, it's easy to always be thinking about what's next. You ever, you kind of feel that? Like you go to kindergarten so that you can get to elementary school and you go to elementary school and you think only if I could get to middle school and you get to middle school and you're like, only if I could become a freshman. And if you become a freshman, you're like, if only I could get to high school. And then you get to high school and you're like, if only I could be in college. And you get to college and you're like, if only I could figure out my major. And you figure out your major and you're like, uh, only if I can figure out what I want to do with my career. Or you say, if I can only get into that grad program and you get into that grad program and you're like, well, if I can only get this residency and you get into that residency program, you say, if I only can figure out where I'm going to live and what kind of job I'm getting. You get the job and you're like, if only I could find someone that is gonna be my significant other here. If only I can find a friend. And it's just sort of like, you're always resetting the goal. And oftentimes we spend a whole lot of our life thinking, God, if, if, if you would do this and this and this and this and this and this, I, I would truly be content. And we spend a whole lot of our time uh, three paces ahead of God four paces out in front of God, always sort of discontent with where we are. And one of the things I would just want to say to you is like, be fully present where you are. It's one of the regrets I have sort of when I was in college, one of the regrets I had when I was in grad school, I was, I was always living, uh, you know, in, in the next chapter, always living in the next chapter, like fully be where you are in this chapter here. God has placed you here, whether that's as a young professional, whether that's your senior year of college or if you're just a freshman here. So are you ahead of God? Now, on the flip side here, we, we, can, we can get out of step with God by not being way ahead, always thinking of what's next. But sometimes we, we can just far, fall sort of far behind and we can live a life that's real fearful and real timid and we really don't take steps of faith. And a part of following Jesus is discovering his will by being obedient. I'm walking through the book of Deuteronomy right now. And there's five guys and we're going through this Bible reading plan. And yesterday morning we were meeting and we were just talking about in Deuteronomy how many times 
he, God says simply, like, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then I'll bless you. Then I will, uh, I will be with you here. And, and there's just this kind of concept that we discover the will and the blessing of God in our life by taking steps of obedience. And sometimes we can just sit in this paralysis by over-analysis and we say, God, if you would only do this and only do this, only do this, then I could take a step. And God is saying, hey, I've given, you, I've given you enough light to be able to take the next step. And when you take this next step, I will give you enough light to take the next step. And if you take that next step, then you'll have enough light to take the next step. And we say to God, no, God, I, I wanna know the absolute end of the destination. I wanna know exactly where this relationship is going. And I'm not gonna take a step. I'm not gonna take a step until I can know all of the granular details of what you would have in store if I go on the first or the second date here, or if I go to this major and that ma instead of that major, or if I take this internship instead of that internship, or if I show up and, and get involved in this church instead of that church. And we, we sort of wanna know the end game and God is saying, will you, will you, will you trust me with today? And will you trust me that I've, I've led you to this place? And if you will, again, go back to this passage right here, that's just a wonderful passage. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Okay, this is the beautiful thing about walking with God. This passage is like a passage that we always quote here. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. He doesn't say he will put you on the right path. He actually says, what path you're on, he will make it straight. That, that is a real freeing concept when it comes to God's will. That wherever you are right now, God has a desire to lead you to the next step, to the next place. Would you trust him enough that he is with you? Will you trust him enough that he desires an intimate walk with you, that he is there? Are you walking the same pace? Are you way ahead? Are you way behind? Are you walking in the same direction? Do you desire to please God by seeking him, by believing him? Are you walking with him? Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.